Hello and welcome to another edition of Soccer to the Max, but this one is a special one. It is the first of what will be a weekly special that we'll be doing on every single one of the World Cup teams. It's just going to be known as Know Your Teams. <laughs> uh, we will be doing uh, one for the Concap W um, as well, so look out for that. But this is the very first one. Um, hopefully. You may, you can comment below and let us know what you liked, what you, what you didn't like, and that way we can improve it as, uh, time goes on here. And like I said, we might as well go ahead and let you know what we're doing today. So we figured that with, um, of course, if, you know, for some reason this is the first time you are watching or listening to us, and that's very possible it could be. A little bit about what we do, Soccer to the Max. We cover a little bit of everything. Uh, we mostly kind of stay in the CONCACAF region of things. You know, U.S. Men's National Team, U.S. Women's National Team, the CONCACAF teams uh, in general, uh, NWSL, Major League Soccer. We also have a special segment because Eric and I are both <laughs> Manchester United fans that we discuss uh, Manchester United weekly as well. And then also, you know, things that happen in European leagues, we will cover that too. We do one show a week. Most of the time it's on Wednesday, sometimes on Sunday. It kind of depends on my schedule, really. It kind of bounces around. So this is a, a standalone thing that we'll be doing every week aside from the weekly show. So if you want to just listen and watch to the Know Your Teams, you certainly can do that. And then if you like us, you can always hit subscribe, like, whatever, and then go listen to the weekly show if you want to hear or watch more of us. Um, and like I said, we'll be doing one for CONCACAFW. This won't, won't necessarily be the only time we talk about any of these teams that we cover. We'll try to continually update you, especially with, like, Iran, because it is in the U.S. Men's National Team's group. We will be covering them probably quite a lot. I do know that there are many Team Melly uh, content creators out there. I'm going to try to see if maybe we can get some of those folks on and perhaps get more of a deep dive on Iran, not a, not just on what we're doing here as well. Here's a little bit about how this is going to work. We're going to do sort of a like World Cup history of the team. Uh, then we're going to get into their 2022 World Cup qualification, you know, how they got here, talk about the coach, talk about some of the, you know, better known players, perhaps some of the breakout players that you may not know as well, but could still be potentially important to the team as, you know, we get into the World Cup. And of course, being the first one is a little bit of a disadvantage because we're so far away from the World Cup right now. Uh, we still have teams that need to qualify. We have so much time left. This things could look so different from now until we get to November. So as the weeks go on, who knows uh, what we say may may not be totally correct because of certain things that happen. You know, players get injured. Players go to a different team. Um, you know, as we'll talk about, some players, they go to a team and they get hurt right when they, they go there and they don't uh, – perform until later so right now it looks like they're not doing anything and it's just that they're kind of recuperating from their injury and then when we talk about them three months down the line that's when they're finally hitting that form you know so it's a long process 
just be prepared for that, that uh, things may change. Uh, but this is kind of less close to just meant the like one encapsulation of, you know, just kind of a get to know Iran's team uh, from what we will be able to uh, research and learn. And then who knows what will happen from now till November. And then at the end, we'll give you a uh, sort of a schedule of what's coming up for the rest of this month. So let's get started, Eric. First of all, I should note that Iran are not only the top of their group in Asian World Cup qualifying, they were the best group out of Asian qualifying, and they are the highest ranked Asian team of all the Asian teams right now as they sit 21 as we're recording. That could obviously go higher or lower as we get closer to the World Cup in Qatar. But let's start with their history while we're at it. Um, I should note that they actually had a really good run of form in the late 60s to 70s. They won three straight Asian Cups from 68 to 76. And then they made their first World Cup in 78 in Argentina. And that's where they got one of their few points. They uh, were able to draw with Scotland and then lost their next two games to Netherlands and Peru. And they're out. So... Um, that was their first venture in the World Cup. They had to wait 20 years after that, Eric, to 1998, where, uh, you know, it hurts, hits a little bit close to home because we know what happened there. Uh, the World, the U.S. Men's National Team were made the last bottom team in the entire World Cup thanks to a 2-1 loss to Iran. Uh, one of the few times that they actually get three points in one of two times that they get three points in all of their World Cup times that they've been there. They play Germany after that and lose 2-0 and they're out. They don't make it to the round of 16. Uh, They didn't even make it in 2002. They lost in the Intercontinental Playoff to Ireland. They only got one point out of Germany in 2006. They drew with Angola in the final game after they'd already lost to Mexico and Portugal. They didn't make it in 2010 placed fourth in their group in qualifying. And then they hit a bit of a resurgence, a bit of a kind of revolution, if you would say, under a former Manchester United assistant manager, former manager of several national teams, including Portugal themselves, Carlos Quiros, who took charge from a little bit of 2014 all the way to 2019's Asian Cup, and then left after that. But it's amazing to think, Eric, from 2014 to 2018, they were the number one ranked Asian team throughout that entire run. They made it to 2014, they made it to 2018 World Cup, and in 2014, they only managed to gain a point, but it was a well-earned rough-and-tumble point against Nigeria in the first game. They made Messi have to put on some magic in the last in the in the last ninetieth minute there to win and defeat them. And then obviously they were sort of already feeling eliminated and they ended up losing to Bosnia because they had to go out of their shell and go for it. The thing with Carlos Kiros is it put them into a kind of like park the bus. But that helped them in 2018 because they were able to get a win over Morocco. At the last possible <laughs> minute, thanks to an own goal, uh, they lost 1-0 to Spain, and they drew with Portugal again in the last possible minute. 
uh, a penalty put in by Azmoun, and it wasn't enough because Morocco had to beat Spain in the final game in order to be able to go through. They did not. They're out again, didn't make the round of 16. And that is kind of where they've been their entire World Cup history. They have not made it out of the round of 16. They did have, you know, since the Asian Cup is the most recent Asian Cup, and it's very successful for them, uh, they had a long stretch where they kept getting eliminated by perhaps their biggest rival outside of Iraq, uh, South Korea, in the quarterfinals for a while. So now they finally, in the last Asian Cup that they were able to be in, 2019, they got past that. They won their group, top of their group. They uh, beat Oman in the round of 16, thanks to a penalty save by their current goalkeeper. And then they beat them 2-0. They beat China 3-0, but they lost to Japan 3-0 in the semis. And then, as I said, Carlos Kuros left after that. Anything you want to say about their now sixth time going to be going to the World Cup, Eric? And then when you think about this, and especially Asia as a whole, and you mentioned their biggest rival in the Confederation in South Korea outside of Iraq, one of the other sort of, at times, powerhouses and kind of oscillated in themselves was Saudi Arabia. And you figure with Iran, no matter how well they built, especially with their run under Kiros, it was going to be one or the other. If you can be the kings of West Asia doing better than Saudi Arabia, then great. You would still have to run into the likes of South Korea, which they did in their qualifying group this go-round, or Japan. So it's good to see, but as we get into their style, you wonder how well that they can keep this up and really how much they'll be able to improve on their current standing because there's a lot to like, but as you also see with South Korea, which we'll be talking about down the road, they really expose some key vulnerabilities. Uh, certainly, yes. I mean, should note that in their road to tw- the 2022 World Cup, it wasn't as you know smooth sailing as you would think it would have been by the looks of things in that third qualifying round, there was actually a moment where it almost seemed like they weren't going to make it because in the second round of qualifying, they had lost to perhaps the two strongest teams in their group. They were in the group of Bahrain, Iraq, Cambodia, and Hong Kong. Uh, You know, they beat Hong Kong, they beat Cambodia, but then they lose to Bahrain and Iraq. And then they had a long, they had a stretch of games after COVID had hit that they were all going to be playing in Bahrain. There wasn't going to be a lot of travel involved. You're not going to play games in Iran and then going to the other country as you would normally, right? Uh, so this led to them firing the Belgian coach, Mark Wilmot, who was obvious. If you don't remember, Mark Wilmot was the coach that was around before Roberto Martinez got the Golden Generation. So he has experience in World Cups or at least in, in qualifying, uh, he's fired. And then they bring in a Croatian coach, Dragan Skocic, uh, to be their coach for the rest of qualifying. And to their credit, the only team that they don't get a winning result on against happens to be South Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, 1-1 in Tehran, and then they lost 2-0 in Seoul. To be fair to them, they were already qualified by the time they played South Korea, and they were also missing like five or six players. 
And they also only gave up four goals in the third round of qualifying, three of them to South Korea. So think about that. In the entirety of their third round of qualifying, which, yes, aside from South Korea and Navy, they don't have the strongest teams that they're going against. Still, that's something to only give up four goals and then score 15. Yeah, with that kind of running, we're talking a 10-match run where you only concede four. And the way that they did it, it's not entirely that old-school, you know, park-the-bus mindset. The defense with the back was a little bit wobbly, but the way they were able to do it, very, very possession-oriented, and it really worked in their favor. Right, they played a much different style under Scotches than what we had seen under Kuros. And it helps that you have the talent to be able to do that. They played much more of a like counter, uh, sit back and counter kind of style. And then, you know, the thing is when you play the likes of a Lebanon or Syria, you're not really having to come up with a game plan. You're just kind of out talenting that team. And that's kind of what you're doing. Obviously, the big result for them was three nil in Qatar, by the way against uh, their neighbors in Iraq. That was perhaps their biggest result of the third round, and that helps them there. But you got to give a little bit of credit to their Croatian coach here in Dragon Skocic, who very much like, you know, U.S. men's national team coach, Berhalter never had experience with the national team before this. In fact, he wasn't, you know, some big player, He played for some Croatian teams, you know, around his home squad and everything. And then his biggest team that he ever played for was he made 41 appearances for Las Palmas, who are in La Segunda División in Spain. But you can kind of see as you go through his coaching stints why he would have been chosen as the Iranian coach, because he has experience coaching in the Iran Club League. You know, he, he coached. On Iran's second league side, he also coached two years, which is his longest stint, by the way, at Fulad uh, from 2014-2016. He doesn't have this long history of being at a club, let's say, for like five years or whatever. He tended to like have these like one-year or half-year stints for whatever reason, and he would kind of just move on to the next thing, to the next thing. But the one thing that does lead in his favor is that it's almost everywhere he went he either won or got to the final of a cup competition for that team which the world cup what is it a cup competition at the end of the day he led a uh, kuwait squad to the final of the crown prince cup and federation cup he got to the afc champions league for al nassar in saudi arabia he won the Slovenian Cup and the Super Cup. Uh, he also won a Croatian Cup. Uh, he got to the final of the Hasfi Cup, which is the Iran League Cup. So he's got experience, even though, you know, you wouldn't say it's the greatest amount of experience, but he does have it in reaching the end of a, a knockout competition. So that is something that you can give him uh, some kind of credit for. And again, he got through qualifying. With just one loss, that's you got to say something about that as well. That they certainly improved greatly after he became the coach. Absolutely, and 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 honestly, in this instance, when you have a team like Iran, you would prefer 
someone who has much more success in cup competitions than in domestic league competitions. And another overarching thing is by making all of these runs, at the end of the day, you're leaving a team much better than you found it. So, okay, even if they don't go necessarily all the way and he breaks that streak, getting to the knockout round, getting to the quarterfinals, you could argue, yes, they should keep him around for another Asian Cup cycle and everything, but at a bare minimum, he's having it better than where they came in. Right. I mean, considering his history, would he want to stay around for another cycle? We'll have to see when we get down to that. But as you said, Eric, there is a different style of play here as opposed to what we saw with Carlos Quiroz, where it really was just kind of parked the bus and and all of that. And to be fair to him, they didn't qualify in 2010, so he had to come up with a style that would help them feel better about once they do qualify in 2014. And there is a lot of belief with the way this group is set up, the USA, the Euro qualifying team that we don't know yet, and England. There's a belief from Iran pundits, Iran content creators, that this is the World Cup that they feel they should progress beyond the group stage. We aren't making our prediction yet or our best case scenario, worst case scenario for the team yet. But how do you think the the style of play may influence that for them? Like in changing this style of play, and we'll get into the, you know, the big players and all that in a second. What is different from what we saw in those previous World Cups to now that maybe is is better for this team or perhaps maybe to their detriment. The thing is, and I'll start with what's to their detriment first. When their defense is a very solid line in a back four, they are practically impenetrable. And as you said, in some cases, you can they will go ahead and out-talent the other team. But if you look at that, that's going to be their shakiest bit because... Even in their first match against Syria in that final round, I, I noticed a couple of center backs. They could easily have a way of getting turned. And when you have guys, and especially like with the U.S. playing a front three, with England and Garrett Southgate, with the likes of a Harry Kane or what have you, that mm-hmm. could be a little bit of a problem. Now, one thing really to their benefit is with their counterattack, while at most times it's like one right down the center of the pitch, the way that they have a lot of the times as well, if they have any sort of advantage, either wing, they will take that and use their speed. They could afford to be a little bit better in crossing, especially in the players like Yakan Bash, which we'll talk about momentarily. But if they don't have anybody really left and right back in particular who can really slow them down, avoid those crosses, they can generate a lot of quality chances going into the 18-yard box. Yeah, that is the one thing that uh, was not lacking in watching Iran throughout the qualifying was even in the game against South Korea where they they drew 1-1, which I thought was, aside from the 3-0 against Iraq, was perhaps one of their best performances, Mm -hmm. was there was chances in that game for them to certainly go ahead and win. And that's because, like you said, not necessarily from the back line, but the midfield forward, mm-hmm. they are very, very dangerous. And in particular, 
like you said, um, Jakon Bosch, who, and I'm going to go ahead and say this uh, up front. I'm very sorry for anyone watching if I mispronounce one of the players' names. I apologize ahead of time. <laughs> no, uh, no ill will meant. It's, these are not the easiest names to pronounce at all. Um, but Jakon Bosch playing for Fire Nord. He's, uh, made 38 appearances just this year, eight goals, uh, already. And he is their captain and he is fierce in the, in that wing spot. I mean, what he creates also is he, he doesn't have any kind of fear of just shooting Mm-mm. from outside the box and then no. creating the, the ability for the other two attacking players that probably the most well-known players of Iran's squad, uh, Mehdi Taremi and Sadar Azmoun, the two strike duos, perhaps one of the best strike duos in all the World Cup we're going to see because they play a 4-4-2 with those two at the at the front. He really is like someone that can also kind of play a sort of number 10 role, Jakan Vosh, of being able to feed them. And the, the great part of it also is Taremi, even though he is your striker, your scorer, he'll also turn into a provider for Asmoon or Jakan Vosh or um, one of the other strikers that happens to be or whoever is in the midfield for them. That's what I felt like is so different from what we see with Iran in 2014, 2018, where they're just kind of like holding on and you know, these goals that we talked about in the 2018 World Cup coming in basically at the end, at the last one when you could possibly have a goal, where they're taking it to the teams. They're yeah. not just waiting for, for something to happen and hope you get lucky. Yeah, and you had mentioned that Taremi in particular, he's a guy, and you can tell he's a key striker because he just draws in defenders. We saw multiple times, 1v2, 1v3. He does not care. He will go ahead, great footwork, and just muscle around and punch through. If opportunity is good on goal for himself, he'll shoot. And as you said, if there's a key passing triangle, which Iran, a lot of times, heavy reliance, but effective in those passing triangles, he can be on the end, set up in that final third, and then someone like Asmoon could come in, clean it up, and score. Yeah, and I mean, I think the thing that we should also note about Taremi, if you don't watch uh, the Portuguese League or you didn't watch Porto in the Champions League, this isn't a guy that's just like, oh, he's just on the team when we're talking about. No, he is the goal scorer. He is the man there. And not only that, he's uh, been joint top scorer, in his first year before he was even at Porto at Rio Ave. And then he goes to Porto and he's their uh, leading scorer. He's gets goals in the champions league. Uh, he got a goal against Liverpool this year. I mean, he, he was up for the Puskas award in I think it was 2020. He's already got a ton of goals this year. I think he's got two hat tricks. I mean, this guy scores, and he scores all kinds of goals, and he also, as I mentioned, sets up goals for other teammates, whether it's creating a penalty or just providing that assist. So he is an absolute danger for anybody that's going to, whether it's the U.S. backline, whether it's the English backline, 
that's somebody you really have to pay attention to because a lot of things flow through him. And if he's not scoring, he's passing it on uh, to whoever it is that's there, whether it's Osmoon or the mm-hmm. other strikers. Oh, yeah. And that's a very, very dangerous kind of combination. And if I'm any of uh, these other teams, I really shore up my central defense and everything up front because this is the kind of team that will love to catch you napping. And if you are caught napping, straight on in. Yeah, and if you didn't think that uh, the Taremi's a, a handful, wait till you get to Sadara's Moon, who obviously is um, the other well-known player for Iran. But right now he's with Brian Leverkusen, but he's he's been hurt. And so he hasn't really made, I think he's only made like six appearances for them so far this season. And he has one goal. You know, he's more known for the a large amount of time that he spent, I think at least five or six years in Russia. He, he spent time with Ruben Kazan and then most recently was then at St. Petersburg where he had a, a big qua- uh, quantity of goals. And not only that, but he scored big goals presented in in Europa League and Champions League. So this is another guy that is out there playing in Europe and he's playing extremely well. He also when he wasn't really meant to go in January to Bayern Leverkusen. It was supposed to be a summer transfer. And then Zenit just kind of agreed to let him go early. So I think this is why you're kind of seeing him kind of have this slow start. But don't be surprised if he Next year, especially if Lewandowski, Holland are no longer in the Bundesliga, don't be surprised if Osmoon is one of the leading goal scorers next season. Not whatsoever, because you'll love someone up front who not only can I make can that he can make well time runs, something that I really noticed, but it's like that not quite full on poacher, but very poacher esque sort of style when you have him at that number nine. And as you said, and as I saw, score goals out of nowhere. Look at the equalizer against the Lebanon. And for someone who can just fly in and again, add to that little bit of speed, definitely a name to watch out for in Bundesliga. Yeah, no, and I mean, not only that, I think it's what he brings as far as like he's the one that like Iran kind of rallies around you know he started mm-hmm. at an, a young age you know he got the the nickname of the Iran Messi which sometimes has gets misplaced on people because a lot of a lot of countries want to have their guy that they want to call oh that's our country's Messi it's a very easy uh name to give someone but when you look at there is so many that they don't live up to that moniker at all. And Osmoon really has, again, even from a young age to be able to do that, that is uh, quite incredible to start with like the Iran U-17s and then continue on throughout the history of Iran and considering who their top goal scorer ever is, you know, Ronaldo just breaking Dolly's record, you know, this year. He's already like so close to being the second all-time leading goal scorer. He has 40 goals for Iran, and he's only been with the the senior team since 2013. So he's already oh. what almost two fifths of the way there. 
That's yeah. amazing in of itself. <laughs> yeah, only 62 appearances, 40 goals. Uh, and then if you look at his, the rest of the record for the other, the under 17s and our 20s and our 23s, he has a ridiculous six appearances, seven goals, 19 appearances, 19 goals, four appearances, four goals. I mean, the dude scores goals. That's just what he does. Um, so yeah, you can, you can make the case. Oh, well, the Russian league is not. Uh, you know, this fantastic league where we got to talk about, you know, all these, oh, amazing players he's playing against. Look, you go to the leagues you can be in. And if you perform well there, that's all that matters. And right now, I mean, he's getting that opportunity in the Bundesliga. Hopefully next season, he really gets an opportunity to shine. So that being said, you know, he was around in the 2018 World Cup. He has that experience. Uh, so was Taremi. And that's the thing is a large core of this team is hitting those, like you would say prime years or like the tail end of your prime years, like that 27 to 30 years. You're not, we're not talking about some super old team. We're talking about an experienced team that has some dangerous players that there's a reason why they feel comfortable. They feel like they should be doing uh, more. That's the thing is when we talk about Taremi, when you're talking about Asmoon, you know, when you're talking about uh, John Bosch as well. I mean, all three of the John Bosch is at Fire Nord and he's, you know, playing extremely well. And like I said, he is that guy that kind of like makes things tick for Iran. Like when anytime you see that there is offense that needs to be created when it's not Taremi and not Asmoon. He's the dude doing it. And when you have three guys that you really feel like you can depend on, I mean, that not every team has that. A lot of teams are centered around one person, one yep. guy. Mm-hmm. And when you have a national team that has three of them, that is something you got to watch out for. And I think also another important figure here is their number six, Saeed Estolai. I probably butchered that. I'm sorry. I wouldn't say, you know, he's having, he's, uh, doing extremely well. Um, he's only made like four appearances for Al Halafa and Qatar after he got loaned out from, uh, the Denmark side that he's in. But when he plays for Iran, not only does he provide cover for the defenders, but he does provide those, those passes that he can pick out through midfield that you have to be careful for. And he's really good at tracking, say, their best player as well. So we saw that in the 2018 World Cup. He gave Iniesta a handful. So this wasn't, you know, someone that we should take lightly. I think he's going to be a big reason why you're going to expect a lot out of them as well. And I wanted to bring up two more players that I think are kind of important outside of the, the goalkeeper is Ali Golzadeh. From when I've seen him playing for Iran, especially when one of the, one of the two key guys are out, I've noticed that he, he's one of those guys that creates something mm-hmm. kind of out of nothing, you know, and you need a player like that. Yeah. Go not ahead. just creating when the top guys are out, but as someone who, if you had like, if, Ideally, a great super sub off the bench. Okolizate is that guy. He comes yeah. in, and if you need something, like needing to hold on 
or if you're chasing the game in those late minutes, he can come on with that great magic to help at least put you in position to rescue points. Yeah. And another one, I don't think we saw him much, but I think in the next year, he's going to be very important. He's on loan to Hull right now, and he just scored his first goal for them a couple of uh, weeks ago against Cardiff. It was like one of those poacher's goals where Mm -hmm. the guy makes a bad pass, and he takes it and then rounds the keeper and scores. I mean, that's those kind of things. I think we're going to watch out for him, whether he stays in the championship or he goes back to his uh, to Fenerbahce. Again, he's been loaned out every year from Fenerbahce, so I'd imagine he's going to get loaned again. I'd say watch out for uh, Alihar Saeed Manesh. He's going to be another key figure at the in the striker role for Iran. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see him in these these friendlies uh, wreaking havoc, honestly. So, yeah. Uh, and if you have someone, as you said, if he's another guy that can score Poulter's goals like Taremi, someone like Sajad Banesh, he can just uh, fit right in at the very least, help provide that rotation up top. And again, could be for a bench or could be for one of the starting matches, depending on how he does in those friendlies. Yeah, certainly. They don't have, I would say, like, Big time name figures at the back, but they're pretty solid. Obviously, we don't know what's going to happen with this transfer window coming up. Who knows? Maybe some of these players will move, but I wouldn't say it's a weakness. I just say that just because you don't have name players doesn't mean that they don't do their job uh, well. I do think you need to be careful about the one thing that I thought was a little bit of a question mark is they have a goalkeeper that I mentioned that uh, Ali Reza Behran Vanad. He's the one that has the, the big name for stopping the Ronaldo penalty in 2018. He stopped the penalty against Oman in the 2019 Asian Cup. He has a great goalkeeping record in the Iran League. He played for uh, Persopoli, which you could say is like the top team uh, in Iran, and at one point, he kept 16 clean sheets in uh, the 2018-2019 season. He was given the Golden Glove for three years in a row, and he was actually given Iranian Footballer of the Year in 2019. So he has a lot of accolades, but the problem is in the last two years, and even this year, he hasn't been playing a lot. He has like he had 10 appearances for a Royal Antwerp, in the Belgian League, which is also where uh, Sam Vines plays, if I'm not mistaken, and Boa Vista, which uh, is also where uh, Reggie Cannon plays, he's only had eight appearances. And he has a loan until July. Of- and as we've talked about with Zach Steffen and Matt Turner on the U.S. side, when you're going into a World Cup, you want to have that string of games, that confidence. And this is your big-time goalkeeper, and he's not having that right now. No, and especially when you have performances from your secondary keeper, like a Zaje, who can have very clutch moments, including in his start in qualifying, that second match against uh, South Korea, a double save. Double save, like, right in front of his net. So, you're thinking to yourself, you're not looking at so much of a keeper controversy, but you would want to have gone to go ahead and have those key minutes 
knowing that, okay, if something happens, you have a reliable number 18 or what have you to go ahead and back him up in a pinch. Yeah, and you did mention their goalkeeper, Abed Sadeh, who is the son of the uh, Abed Sadeh that played against the U.S. in 1998. So <laughs> there's a little bit of a revenge uh, factor <laughs> there, but he's also represented Iran for, you know, the under-23s. Uh, obviously, he's been with Iran. Uh, he's made, uh, what, nine appearances for the Iran senior team. He hasn't played in these, you know, fantastic leagues or whatever, but he's been doing well, and he's actually playing games at uh, Pon Refadina in the second league uh, in Spain. He's has 31 appearances there. So he's in better form right now, Aved Zadeh, than, mm-hmm. than you would, who would you expect is going to be your number one keeper. So that's something to keep an eye on, I think, of who it is. But either way, regardless of, of who it is, both of them are good keepers. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not the case of, oh, if you have two keepers, you don't really have one. You have a guy that you can and who should step up and be their number one. But again, you have a very reliable number two that if you need him, he can step in and you really won't miss a beat. Yeah, uh, for sure. Abed Zadeh might actually wind up being the keeper that plays in the World Cup itself if things keep going that way. But we'll see. Uh, because obviously... That experience of being in the World Cup does matter sometimes when you're facing those tough games like you're going to have in all three of these. So that leads us to the last bit of this here, Eric. I mean, what do you think is a best case scenario for Iran? And do you have that belief that we've talked about this group as a evil for any of the teams that are there? Do you believe that they they really could get out and get it to that round of 16? I really do. I think if we're talking best case scenario, second place is definitely in the cards. It really is. I think as we see with the top dog England, obviously, but a couple of those right results go their way. Second place in a good round of 16 draw, definitely achievable for Iran. And I will say, I think we should note that I, I mentioned they played Iraq in uh, Doha, in Qatar. Mm-hmm. So they are used to being there. Iran is only less than an hour away by plane, about, I would say, about 21, 22 hours by car. I don't know what the allocation is as far as tickets go, but it's not far at all for to expect a, a big Iran presence. In, in Doha and Qatar for these games. Right. And another thing also is, again, knowing that climate, yeah. knowing that season, England and, Co- and the U.S. are going to have one week to acclimatize to everything. They're in that first day game against England. They very well could pull a shocker, get a result in that game because they're more well aware of what they're going to deal with as opposed to England. It is something that should be pointed out. I think a lot of people just kind of assume things. It's different when you're like kind of going around Europe as we saw with the Euros and, and all that stuff. 
you're going to an entirely different situation that the majority of all these players that are going to be playing against you have never faced before. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a totally different uh, situation. Um, and Iran has the advantage uh, there. They're also, you know, yes, many of these players are coming from abroad, but, you know, the, the players that are playing in the the Iranian league or they're right there. Again, everybody in that region, as you said, it being a comfortable secondary quasi home advantage, and especially with the unique setup of all the Qatari stadia, them being right next to each other. Once you get there, it's you shuffle around, and it's almost like, right. as you said, almost sleeping in your own beds. Exactly, and then having play in those stadia as well, mm-hmm. and then they're going to play New Zealand. That's the only friendly that we know that they have right now in Qatar as well. Um, New Zealand's already going to be there to play that that game. So that being said, I do think that is their best case scenario. I definitely think that they could shock. Even if they don't get a result against England, I think definitely whoever it is that comes out of uh, the Euro qualifier, which the way things are going, maybe Ukraine doesn't even play that game against Scotland and it winds up just being a way of Scotland. I think definitely Iran has the opportunity to get three points against either one of those teams. And then you leave it up to a U.S. What has happened with the U.S. up until that point, depending on what happened in those other two games, does Iran only need a point to advance? We won't know until we get there, but that scenario is very plausible. And again, like we just outlined why they could be dangerous, why they could shock teams. It's very, very possible that Iran could certainly, maybe not first. I definitely think this is a, a way different England team than the one that, that the U.S. faced in 2010. I don't think, other than just some really big, like just being shocked, I don't think I see England doing anything but first. Mm-hmm. But especially with all the pressure that they have, they're going to be going guns blazing in every game. I think. For sure, Iran can compete with the U.S. They can compete with whoever comes out of that Euro qualifier, and they definitely could wind up going into the round of 16 and playing whoever comes out of Group A. Perhaps they're their neighbors in Qatar, and then could they make it to the, the quarterfinal even? I think that's that's a possibility uh, as well. So we, I don't think that the pundits are wrong here. And ex- and expecting, and also, I mean, there's a little bit of hope there, but in expecting that this is the moment for Iran, their top players are in their primes or just barely getting out of their primes. You know, Taremi's going to be 30. You know, Asmoon's going to be, what, 28. I mean, so you're looking at the best chance Iran has with this, I guess you could say, golden generation, if you want to call it that, of players, uh, to finally get that moment. Um, for them obviously worst case scenario is getting to that last game with the u.s and already being eliminated basically you didn't get the three points you didn't get anything against england you somehow you know let's say scotland or wales or ukraine nick the goal at the end and you mm-hmm. sit looking at the u.s game with no points um unfortunately hopefully for iran in that case that's not the case but it could very well happen it, it could, I mean, absolute dystopian scenario, the ultimate bad ending, 
no points, but a more realistic worst case, at least in my mind, they do get a point against that European qualifier. Nothing against England and the U.S. needing something for whatever reason to advance or whatever position. They go ahead and, as you say, guns blazing, pistols firing, and they finish, and Iran finishes with a point. I think going away with nothing, plausible, but to me, one point seems a more likely floor for this year. Yeah, I, I can definitely uh, see that as well. A more likely floor for it being at least a point. But either way, I definitely think the Iran, the Iran fandom, the Iran soccer punditry, everything should be positive. This is the team that, as I said, we're going to be talking about more as time goes on, as we get, you know, closer and closer to the World Cup. But this is, this is a team just looking at it, looking at what we've seen in qualifiers. Hopefully for them, their biggest problem has been getting preparation, good preparation games. And as much as you want to say, oh, well, New Zealand is a team that's sort of qualifying, they're not a team you really want to be playing against. And unfortunately, CONCACAF nations are in the Nations League and UEFA nations are also in the Nations League as well. So you don't have this wide array of selection. And they did say that they possibly might play Brazil or Argentina in Qatar. Um, since they're going to be already there to make, to do that makeup game, that basically exhibition makeup game, because it doesn't really matter. Uh, so could they possibly get one of those two teams? That would be a huge boon for them if they could. But I think that's very important for Skocic and this team. Get you some good friendlies before you get to November. Definitely. That's going to be the key. And it's going to be a very interesting next window to see what matchups we get for these friendlies how they're going to do because it could really not it will give us a much sharper idea of how they could fare in cutter in november but it could also throw everything out the window in case anything happens yeah that's for sure so there you have it the first know your teams the islamic republic of iran uh, like I said, we're, we are going to be talking about Iran more as we keep going, but that closes the book on the know your teams part of it. Um, to go ahead and give you the next, I guess, this whole month coming, we are in May officially right now. We are, this is the first of May as we are recording this and hopefully you're watching it, uh, pretty soon here. Let's give you the rundown. So we're going to be covering Ghana in the next week or so, Ecuador, Saudi Arabia, Cameroon, and South Korea. So we'll be talking again about Iran because South Korea played them in the group here at the end of May. And then, of course, we'll be talking about the other half of the group of Asian qualifying in Saudi Arabia. And, of course, we'll, we'll get into the African team starting next time with Ghana. Cameroon as well, and then getting into South America con Ecuador, lo, lo que están al lado de Venezuela right there. Um, so yeah, and it'll be interesting because when we cover Morocco, the U.S. will have played them already in their friendly. Uh, so 
Yeah, that one's going to be uh, an interesting one, too, to, to talk about. So that being said, um, hopefully you enjoyed our this first edition of Know Your Teams. Uh, again, if you have anything you want to say, whether it's positive or negative, or you just want to give us your thoughts on how Iran is going to perform in the World Cup, the comments are available on YouTube. You can do it right there. You can comment on Twitch. You can comment. Uh, on Twitter, you can go hit us up on Twitter. I'm at WTimSean at Squid Sportshead. Go hit us up through there. And then, of course, you can go and do it through the Facebook page or just, you know, good old email. That <laughs> works as well. So, um, if people still, still do that instead of using social media, but e- either way, again, we'll be back sometime, uh, next week. Perhaps uh, the, this following Saturday to talk about Ghana. And we'll be back pretty quickly here to do our weekly show as well. With, uh, of course, talking about whatever it is that's going on in the world of soccer. So remember, we have a show, Soccer to the Max. Listen to us every week. Look it up on the YouTubes, on uh, any podcast service that you uh, can find because we are there. And until next time, see you later, everybody.